connect to the power of Pentecost. In Exodus chapter 29, when the uh, priests were preparing for ministry, and we're going to receive the offering at the end of service today too. I haven't forgotten that. But when the priests were preparing for ministry, Exodus 29 tells us what had to happen. When they were preparing for ministry, the Bible says in verses 1 through 3 of Exodus 29 that they brought sacrifice. Because the blood covered the sin and sacrificing were for reasons that was known only to God. The Bible says that the life is in the blood and so life was given for life. And the word sacrifice means that it's an offering of something that was precious and to surrender something. And so for them to prepare for the anointing, they had to offer something precious to them and surrender it, give it away. We're told in the word of God that we are to deny ourselves because Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, that if any man would deny himself, I mean, if any man will come after him, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so we see that sacrificing is not an act of works. It's an act of obedience to God. Now, the sacrifice has been given, obviously, through Jesus Christ because he is our blood offering. He is our blood sacrifice. After the priest gave the offering, they were then to wash, a ceremonial washing and cleansing in the fourth verse. And that was a signal or a sign or a symbol of sanctification or holiness. That after they would, after this blood came sanctification. Psalm 51 and verse 2 says, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin." Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 7 and 1, it says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. He also wrote to the Ephesians, said that God wants to sanctify and cleanse the church with the washing of water by the word of God. The priests then were to be dressed in their proper garment. The dressing was a type of, of wearing spiritual clothing. The Bible says that you and I that are saved are clothed with salvation. Second Chronicles 6.41 says, let thy priest be clothed with salvation. The Bible teaches us in 1 Peter that we're all a kingdom of priests, that we all are priests unto God. We are able to go to God on behalf of others the job of a priest. And they were to be clothed with salvation. I've said this before, and yesterday while I was out and uh, spending time with three other ministers, and of course we talk about lots of things, and one thing we talked about was uh, church and ministry. And I've said to you, and I have say this every time I mention this, that I probably raise some eyebrows, but the more 
that I've said it, I think the more that I find people that agree with me and understand what I'm saying. When I said standing here one day right on this floor, I said to you that the church is filled with unsaved Christians. And I asked you to let me explain, and you did. You were so kind to me to not get upset or angry with that statement because there are tons of people in the church that do not have a relationship with God. They have a relationship with the church, but not with God. They know how to sing and know how to worship and know how to do all the stuff, but they don't have a relationship with God. And so they're not clothed with salvation. And we wonder why life is hard. You can't go to war, not dress for war. The warriors from early times dressed for battle. There were casual clothes and there were war clothes. And we're not always on the front line in a battle, but we're always in a fight. I told Diana this morning, she and I just had a very brief conversation that carried over to my Sunday school class today that we are under attack. We are under a, an attack of manipulation where everything around us is trying to manipulate how we think, how we see things, and how we respond. Trying to manipulate our response, our acceptance, and trying to change the culture. And the church, I'm going to end up where we better get but before I get there, I will say to us that if we don't get it, there's no hope for the world. I mean, we gripe about the world. I think it's time we start griping about the church. I think it's about time we start fixing our own house and dealing with our own issues and confessing our own sin and admitting to God as Pentecostals, the power of the Holy Ghost ain't that big a deal to us because life is okay. I mean, we get through life, all right. I mean, we, we get through it okay. And so we're not desperate enough for the power of God to be manifested and working through our lives. And so we just sit around and we do church, and we do church really good. We are good at doing church. We do church wonderfully. But we're not great at flowing in the Holy Ghost, and we're not great at allowing the power of the Holy Ghost to manifest through us. To us, the power of the Holy Ghost is just... Uh, just something that kind of is almost like a feel-good band-aid to us. But when they were baptized in the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2, the first place they went was outside the upper room. They didn't keep it in the upper room. They didn't hide it in the upper room. They didn't brag to one another about what they got. And a lot of Church of God folk and Pentecostal folk are just like that. We brag to one another about the Holy Ghost and we, we curse people that don't believe in the baptism, but our lives are no different. Come on now, somebody. And it's about time we fix our house. 
It's about time that a Pentecostal church starts acting like a Pentecostal church. It's about time that we make it a priority to be baptized in the Holy Ghost and to be able to flow in the Holy Ghost and minister in the Holy Ghost and talk like we're full and live like we're full and let holiness and sanctification rule the day. But we're not good at that because we're too worldly-minded, but I have to save that preaching for another day. But we've got to be dressed right. Sanctification and holiness, the armor of God and all that that represents. We have got to be dressed for the fight. And it begins with a right relationship with God. If you are not sure about your relationship with God, I would not let this moment pass until you know you know that you know that you and God are tight, that you and God are right, and that you and God are on the same path, and that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, and there's no doubt about it. He's the priority. He's more important than your husband, more important than your wife, more important than your grandkids. He's more important than your job, than your 401k, or your future. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't have anything. So that's got to become priority and we have to be dressed in salvation, dressed in the armor of God, dressed in the righteousness of God and, and live with the holy clothing that we have on us. But after they were dressed, then the Bible says in verse 7, Delena, can we get Exodus 29, 7 on the screen? I could read it from my Bible. I want us to read it. Then, everybody say then. That was a natural, the next step, then, the next step. After salvation, after sanctification, after holy clothing, then, the next step. We got to stop trying to pray people through to the baptism that aren't even saved. Give me an amen, somebody. The next step is to take the anointing oil and pour it upon their head and anoint him. Get it and just dump it on his head and anoint him and let this flow of anointing just flow down from the head that represents salvation down the clothing to the foot and stand in a puddle of anointing oil because ministry cannot begin do you, have, do you get that? Ministry cannot even begin until there's an anointing. Come on, Pentecostal. Come on, help me. Ministry cannot even start until somebody's got some anointing on them. And if they're just going around just doing something without anointing, they're, they're just playing the game. Or they're, they're just how we want to word it. We have got to have fresh oil poured on our ministry if we're ever going to be effective for the things of God. And people, whether we want to accept it or not, are hungry for what we're experiencing. And they're trying ways to fix it, except this way. I told you in a Wednesday night class a while back, and there are examples just out the ears. I mean, there's so many examples. But... Uh, Everybody remember Robert Schuller in the Crystal Cathedral, right? Yes. You know, I, I, 
I have watched him, and of course he's gone to heaven now, and his son took the church over. And so that massive cathedral, I seen it from the outside one time. I mean, it's just, it's just, everybody, I mean, you've been there? I mean, I'm not. I've just drove past it. And it was just, my goodness gracious. I mean, it was just amazing. This crystal cathedral, and I watched program after program. I even told you one time I love their singing and love the music and I love that pipe organ and that high choir singing. I mean, to me, that was just very moving. But Robert Schuller has gone to heaven and his son took it over. And from what I understand, I know this is being recorded and so I'm being, uh, you know, just from what I understand, things kind of went south and so they could not afford to keep the building. And they sold the Crystal Cathedral to a Hispanic church that is Pentecostal. <laughs> and now in the Crystal Cathedral, there are a bunch of Hispanics talking in tongues in the Crystal Cathedral having church. Now, I think it's pretty cool, don't you? I think it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool that my friend that I went to uh, school with or knew her back when I went to school, told me about all about her insanity services at the Catholic Church. And all that was was they just met on off nights and played guitars and sang courses and worshiped God in freedom and that kind of thing. I said, man, we do that all the time. We do that every Sunday. But to them, they called it insanity services where they just let go and let the Holy Ghost just move. But I could give you example after, after example. Churches that have not taught the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but they've really loosened up how they do church because people are so attracted to our styles of worship. And so I could talk about this all day long. But it's not because we do what we've done up here today well. It's not about that. It's about we do what we do with anointing. People are attracted to the anointing. And they know the difference between performance and anointing. And I want to do what I do well, but I want to do what I do with anointing more than I want to do it well. I want the anointed of God on my life to where I just literally stand in puddles of anointing whenever I speak, whenever I minister, whatever I do for the glory of God. I want to walk in the anointed of God. And all through the word of God, all through the word of God, church, the anointed of God, that is, of course, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the, the Holy Ghost, we see that uh, the early church, I've already mentioned them, but the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul understood the value and the, uh, the importance, I should say, or the need or the must of being baptized in the Holy Ghost because in Acts chapter 9, verse 7, the Bible said that Ananias went to see him and he said, I'm here that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And there's, always, there's detractors that say, yeah, but it didn't say he spoke in tongues. That's true in Acts chapter 9. But then we read what he said in 1 Corinthians 14. And he said in verse 28, I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than all of you. We find this same man meeting Ephesian believers in Acts 19.6. It said that Paul laid his hands on them after he asked them. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we've not even heard about the Holy Ghost. And the first, and he asked the question, he said, whose baptism were you baptized in with? And they, they said, John the Baptist. 
That's a great, great answer. I'll tell you some other time about it, but if you want to get into a great answer, if you deal with a oneness person that believes that you have to be baptized in Jesus' name only to go to heaven, I don't care if they're baptized in Jesus' name, but if they believe you have to do that to go to heaven, that's a great verse to teach because if they would have been baptized in Christian baptism, they would have heard about the Holy Ghost, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So that, Paul, Paul said, he questioned them. So when they said, we don't know, we don't know about it, he then laid his hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost came upon them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. The Corinthians, first Corinthians, that's the most Pentecostal book in the New Testament in my, in my thinking. First Corinthians 14, verse 1, 15, 22, 39. All talk about the need for being baptized in the Holy Ghost and the move of the Spirit. The Apostle John said in 1 John 2, 20, but you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. That word unction means anointing, but it also means to smear. It's a picture of, a, of, of anointing salve, not just oil, but, but salve that they just rubbed on you, rubbed you up. And Paul and John said, you have this unction from the Holy One and you know all things, that don't mean that you're omniscient. It means you know about the operations of God and how God wants to move and how God wants to use you. But I want to close, almost close, I'm sorry, with this. John 3.34 said that God gave Jesus the spirit without measure. There's not a lot of teaching that I've heard about that. Actually, I've heard very little. I've done most of the teaching that I've heard and I'm not and I think I understand it but Jesus had an anointing that had no measure no limit then we read where Jesus said in John 4 and 18 when he began ministry he said the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord's anointed me then in Luke 10 21 the Bible said Jesus heard something in that very hour he rejoiced greatly and the Holy Spirit. That word rejoice means to jump up and down, <laughs> to have exceeding joy, to fall backward. I'm not even going to try to mimic that because until I get a miracle healing, I will never be able to do that. But Jesus got so happy in the Holy Ghost. Now, they didn't say he got happy. He said he got happy in the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost joy made him jump up and down, made him fall backward, gave him exceeding joy because of the ministry and the presence of the Spirit of God that, remember, he had without measure that was given to him with an anointing to fulfill prophetic ministry. And whenever he had this anointing of prophetic ministry on his life and an anointing that without limits, he still jumped up and down with joy and was so happy in the Holy Ghost over the things that God was doing that, it, that he was just overwhelmed by that. And so I think, and I say, well, if my goodness gracious, if my Lord and Savior can get so full of the joy of the Spirit of God that he acts like he did, 
then why in the world should I worry about acting so uh, and think we call it dignified? I don't think dignity is the right word. I think if we try to control the move of the Spirit, it's not dignity. It's being stuck. It's being in the mud. It's being, it's being limited. I think that we need to get free in the name of Jesus. And I think we need to act like we're Spirit-filled folk again. And I think we need to get to a place where we do not hinder the move of the Spirit of God. And let the joy of the Lord fill us. My God, Berea Church of God, does anybody have anything to be happy about today? Is anybody in the house saved? Has anybody ever been healed by the power of God? Has anybody had the touch of the Spirit on your life? Come on now, somebody. Have you ever felt the electricity of the anointing of God on your life? I'm telling you, we've got everything to be happy about and joyful about. Somebody give him a praise in the house this morning. Well, glory. My God. My God, my God. In Psalm chapter 13, Tom, will you make your way up? And Rose, I better get some Holy Ghost singing or I'm gonna sit you down. I won't do that, baby girl. I would just suggest it. I'm just playing with you, honey. But in Psalm 13, I would like this on the screen, Delana, please. Psalm chapter 13. Psalm 13 is being called a turnaround, a turning point psalm by H.G. Brown, Bible scholar. And I want us to look in Psalm 13 in verse 5. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I choose that today, I chose that today because the word rejoice in the Hebrew there means to spin around under the influence of violent emotion. I have trusted in your mercy, my heart shall rejoice or my heart is going to spin around in violent emotion because I'm saved. Because of your salvation. I'm going to let it all hang loose because of what you've done for me. I'm not going to try to limit you nor me. I'm not going to try to keep the house of the Lord in a dignified, quiet way when in reality it's called something else in the eyes of God. I'm not going to try to be showy, but I am going to be a worshiper. And however the anointing of God moves on my life, I will not resist, but I will respond and flow in the Spirit of God. I will yield to the Holy Ghost and allow Him to fill me. I will seek Him for salvation if I'm not clothed with salvation. I will make sure my relationship with God is priority in my life. And then I will walk in the sanctification and the power of holiness. And then I will be filled with the Spirit of God. Then I will be the worshiper that you've called me to be. And whatever ministry I involve myself in, you can write it down. I'm going to be anointed of the Holy Ghost. That's a good word, ain't it? Ain't that good stuff? I mean, the Word of God is sharp and powerful as a two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing and sunder of soul and spirit, to the joints and the marrow, and to the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Berea Church of God, we need to once again 
seek God for the baptism in the Holy Ghost and not treat the baptism like an option on a car and just say, I'll take it or leave it. I tell you, you've got to have it. You've got to take it. Because you got to, that's the only thing that's going to keep you walking in the victory in a world that's spiraling out of control. He said, you will know all things. I'm not bragging, I'm really not, but Donna and I had the conversation this morning. And I said to her, and she got it, she understood that she knew. I said, we are being manipulated The news is manipulating us. They're saying and using words and phrases they want us to use, that they want us to accept, that they want us to not know the depth of where they're coming from. But I want to tell you, Berea Church of God, the Bible said that if you have an anointing of the Holy Ghost and it's smeared on you, you'll know all things. The Spirit of God will speak to you. You'll be watching the news and the Holy Ghost, oh my God, I feel him. (laughs) the Holy Ghost to say, that ain't right. He may not say, hey, Steve says, hey, but Holy Ghost might say, that's not proper. But he'll let you know it's wrong. The Holy Ghost will let you know what's right, let you know what's wrong. The Holy Ghost will let you know where to, whether to turn right or left. He'll let you know where to go. He'll let you know where to go to church. He'll let you know what preacher to sit under. He'll let you know what you need to do. You will know all things. You won't have to ask dumb questions. I'm sorry, that came out. But I'm just going, can I just say it? You won't have to ask dumb questions. Brother Hobbs, is it a sin if I... I won't answer those questions. I will not dignify those questions with answers. If you can't hear the voice of God, you won't hear my voice. You'll know the truth. You'll know all things. You'll know. And then when we open ourselves up to this, we open ourselves up to the miraculous. Miraculous.